0: I said,
1: your head, son, take a Welcome your head, to the so Rights to Ricky Sanchez, Sanchez, Sanchez podcast, brought now, to you as always by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights Rick to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged, 707 Walnut in Philly, and always at llpavorsky.com. I am Spike Eskin, along with the handsome, charming, and unbelievably rich, Mike Levin. Hi, Mike.
2: The last one was a surprise. <laughs> what's going on?
1: You can always get the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play. We appreciate your reviews on iTunes. They uh the positive reviews help the podcast grow even bigger. Um as usual I'd like to read you a couple of the reviews from this week, Mike. Could I?
2: Yeah, I like the one. My favorite one was the uh the one we helped the guy through his uh
1: <laughs> his uh what's it called? Uh, his uh when they snip your thing so you Yeah, you can't, why can't I can't like anything.
2: It's too yeah. early for me. You don't have an excuse.
1: No, no, no. I'm just not thinking of it, but Sure. So, all right, here we go. Um this one I liked. Wait, hold on. Where's the one about Oh yeah, this is uh from Abba Fat. He gives it 5 stars. Thanks. Mike and Spike eased the 3 years of pain that I Andrew Bynum's damaged knees have caused a collective <laughs> fan base. Looking forward to Embiid's next major injury so we can enjoy three more years of humor and false hope. Trust the podcast. Uh, This one is from 1%, a black guy who actually came to Xfinity. He gives it five stars. He says, no one covers a 10-win team like –
2: Wait, his name is 1%, a black guy actually came to Xfinity? (laughs) Yes. It's a good name.
1: (laughs) No one covers a 10-win team like you guys – Best Sixers-centric podcast ever. Listen to every episode. Note: Gonna go to the Joel Embiid school of recruiting after I submit this to review. Hit submit this review to raise the level of diversity around here. And uh, finally, a an existential one from Dan in Pasadena, who also gives it five stars. You guys are a joy. After much discussion with Seventy Sixers fans on various forums, I had a philosophical revelation and wanted to know what you guys thought. Mm. Uh, those that were against the process find self identity in their fandom of the 76ers and because of this they were unwilling to identify as a loser no matter how short the time frame on the other hand the process trusters seem to realize that sports is for their enjoyment and were willing to delay their gratification for the potential outcome of greatness am i on to something yeah <laughs> sure yeah that's exactly it
2: actually you're not you're not you're not going to we're not going to argue with the fact that we are smarter and more measured as a <laughs> yes. as a group of people.
1: We are the reasonable ones. We yes. are, uh, th- uh, according or opposite from popular opinion, we are the reasonable ones. All okay. right, so we're going to have SB Nation's Ricky O'Donnell. That's right. He was he came on with us last year and gave us some great you know college and draft stuff. So we'll have him on later. Of course we have to talk about the big news of the week, which is the uh Nerland's Noel for Jeff Teague trade rumors, which happened, <laughs> which were a joy. I had a I don't know if you wanted me to do this at the end. I had a like a, a quick a famous person who trusts the process story. Do you want it before or after Nurlands?
2: Let's let's do it at the end.
1: Okay. So uh Yahoo, wait, Shams. What's Shams' last name?
2: Charania?
1: Charania, who used to work for – I don't know
2: how to pronounce it. There's people online that you just see for years and your eyes can recognize who they are. But then your mouth is like years behind on actually realizing you have to say it. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And this is the first
1: time I've ever had to say his name. Yeah, so, and I, was I gonna, might not ever say it again. And I was going to chicken out and just say Yahoo, but I was like, no. That guy. <laughs> and he used to work for Real GM and he got signed by Yahoo, you know, like, I don't know, six months ago. But he's legit. And he reported that the Sixers, though nothing was imminent, the Sixers and Hawks were talking about a deal that was centered around Nerland Noel and Jeff Teague. Later on, Keith Pompey cited sources that said that – Nick Stauskas and Robert Covington could also be in the deal. Um, Well I mean so (laughs) (laughs) – all right. So let's just get out of the way that this deal has not happened and may not happen. And who knows where – like I would agree that uh, it's probably likely that something was discussed because mm-hmm. this is a legitimate source. But who knows whether – who knows who leaked this. Maybe it's the Hawks trying to raise the value of Teague. Maybe it's mm-hmm. his agent. Who knows whether the Hawks said this and the Sixers were like, well, you know, when you think of a package deal, a bunch of people were saying, well, maybe the Hawks are giving extra stuff. And they don't really have extra stuff to exactly. give.
2: So – and so, then the report came out that it was the Sixers who were looking at giving the extra stuff.
1: Yeah. So, I think all I it's hard to have a different take other than I don't if you want to I don't want to trade Nerlens Noel, but if you want to trade him, that's fine, but you can't trade him for a guy who's only under contract for 1 year is going to get a massive overpayment next year and that guy who's only under contract for 1 year isn't a superstar. It's just a a pretty like a good player like everything about this potential trade is wrong
2: everything about the potential trade is wrong and it it's such an overreaction to now they didn't have a point guard for most of last year and that obviously hurt them hurt them in some ways and helped them in others because hey we're gonna get ben simmons <laughs> right like, right it worked out yeah so there's that and then I think that – I think people are – I'm not uh, – we have to abandon. There's so many things I want to say. We have to abandon the idea that the process will continue in the way that Sam would have wanted it to. So we have to sort of assume that nobody – they want to be respect respectable, like badly. They want to be respectable. So I think that, that if this trade happened, it would be, hey – We got Jeff Teague. He was an all-star. Like, we're serious about winning basketball games now. And it it would just – it would signify like a culture change to ignorant people and agents and all that stuff, especially if Covington and Staskus are in the trade. Uh, I mean, you don't know what the trade is, but – Let's let's just assume it's just Nerlens fatigue. Let's for the right. sake of yeah. discussing it, let's assume it's one to one to one to one, one to one to one neuralins fatigue. So so I just too I can't even too. comment on it, I'll just lose my mind. So they need a point guard. You can agree with that, right? Sure, obviously. They can get a point guard without trading Nerlens, Right. Especially one that you'll have to overpay in a year. Right. And one that won't be in his physical prime when Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are hitting theirs. Not that that's bad. I don't. I don't think that everyone needs to be the exact same age. No, and for I sure. Think that, I think to some extent, it's good to have somebody who's a who's a stopgap for two years to just like get us there while we're grooming either a point guard with Jeff this year or next year. Next year's a really great draft class for point guards. A lot of guys that I like in the in the draft next year coming out point guard wise. And I even think I said last week that
1: that was the one that me not you, but that was the one position that if they get a guy that's a that's a little older that has NBA that's fine. You know, I'm I'm good with that. And I I think we would agree. I haven't we haven't spoken about this potential trade at all, but I think we would agree. Jeff Teague the player, I would be fine with Jeff Teague on the Sixers. He would make them better. The, the notion of – this is not like an anti that Jeff Teague is not good enough or you it's need – It's not to, about
2: Jeff Teague. It's a little about Jeff Teague. Yeah, it's, it's not all about Jeff Teague but like some of it is like, come on. This isn't the trade you make for this guy. For that guy,
1: right. I, I'm just saying on, on his own. The, I, I think sometimes – and I actually think some process people get this wrong for lack of a better word process people get this wrong sometimes you don't need a superstar at every position Agree. So you, you don't not acquire Jeff Teague because you know he's not the best one a top 5 point guard that that doesn't mean that you don't acquire a guy who who isn't great you there's no way at all five positions you're going to have a great player
2: <laughs> he there, there would have been if Sam was here.
0: Right, but.
1: right, right. He would have waited for it. But I, So so he as a player, I have no problem with. And he, if you just signed him, would be fine. Even if you overpaid him a little, would be – but to give up – and here's the other thing.
2: He was signed right now for like three three more years and like $40 million, I would do it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't do it. I still wouldn't do it. But I'd be like – it would be so much more. I could stomach it so much more.
1: And here's the other thing is that – you really have – you're at the point now where, OK, we can say they have a ton of resources. Look at all the assets. But the the truth is is that the ones that you can trade and turn into something are really, really limited. So you better make sure you don't, <clears throat> you don't like fuck that up, right? So if you – that's the problem with selling low on any of these things. You better be sure because you're going to need more than one great player and the hope was is that maybe – you use some of these things to acquire either undervalued players or superstar players. But Jeff Teague, so once you trade one of those, you know, really all you have in your in your wallet right now as trade pieces, assuming you're not going to trade the number one pick and that Joel Embiid is not tradable, is really just the Lakers pick Noel and Okafor. I mean, those are your major pieces. So by getting rid of one of these things, that's 35 – 33 percent of your assets that you can use to acquire a star are now gone. You know, so and you've just acquired a guy that you could sign next year.
2: So, if and if if Jeff Teague was, you know, if Jeff Teague was Jordan Clarkson, where you thought that he would build and be the next core, then okay, then sure. you can yeah. rectify that. But but this is just this move would be. Rushing respectability at the expense of actual upside. Jeff Teague is good; he's fine, but you don't want to be paying Jeff Teague thirty-three million dollars.
1: Yeah, and you to, all, and to you play almost, for a
2: bad team because they will still be bad. They're not going to be a contender in the next two years.
1: And, and by the way, you've by trading Noel for him, you've almost backed yourself into a corner of having to keep Jeff Teague. Or like having to overpay Jeff Teague. Because yeah, because other you, than
2: you traded you traded Noel for w- uh, one year of nothing. Right. The so, best case scenario is Jeff Teague plays really well this year. And then you have to give him a max contract. That's the best case scenario. And that's the problem is that there are so many of these. And it's in life too. And this is what the process was against. It's let's think of this thing from all angles. Let's see this through. Let's, let's look at this. What happens if this happens? How can we go – to, what's the logical extreme of this? And what happens if okay if Jeff Teague plays badly? What's the worst thing that could happen? If Jeff Teague plays well, what's the worst thing that could happen? If he's in the middle, what's the worst thing can happen? So like there's a lot of thought process going into it. This trade to me would seem like Jeff Teague's an all star. We already have a center. Let's do it. Like it just seems so quick and just like yeah 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 do it. Make the trade. Go ahead quickly so we can act like we're doing something. Yeah. It just doesn't seem it's so this sort of lack of. Foresight is exactly what the Sixers were doing in the twenty years before Hinky got here. And and let's Everything. and
1: let's Everything. And, and let's you know and I will say I'm I, I will not I am not condemning Brian Colangelo until he does actually does something like this. I, I I'm giving him I won't especially because I think my natural inclination is to do that because of where we were before this. So I'm not going to let, allow a rumor for me to say, OK, Brian Colangelo doesn't know what he's doing. They're going to do something <laughs> wrong.
2: I, I will wait. I until think he knows exactly. I think he knows exactly what he's doing, well, either, which is listening either, to ownership and, and get it making the team. Well, even a more, a more respectable item at, at whatever cost.
1: Right. But he hasn't done that yet. He, I know. He, he has, this, is this is
2: exactly like, this rumor. Whatever the rumor is, you can tell me. You can weigh in more on where you think it came from, if it came from a Hawks camp or an agent, or whatever, um, or or Sixers leverage to try to trade Okafor or whatever. Yeah, um,
1: I, I don't. This think...
2: is the kind of thing that they said that they would not do. This is the kind of this is the mediocre, like just head right to the middle, just total thing that I mean, Jeff Teague's fine, and if Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid hit there even close to their potential, then that's still that it looks like he'd help. But also, you're paying him thirty-three million dollars when he's thirty-three, and that's bad.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the real end of this is that the best-case scenario of this deal is not that great a case of scenario. Exactly. Right. right. So, uh, and it's funny. It's funny to say. Uh, I would say so. About a month into the Jerry Colangelo era, where I had officially soured and hated it, I was let's say I was speaking. With somebody with explicit knowledge of the the Sixers' internal situation, let's say. And, and, and no, no, not my dad that was, at all. That was, that was a joke. Okay, so I was saying uh, this person said to me, "What would?" This was when we were doing the who is making these deals. You know, a really fun
2: time. For yeah, us. yeah.
1: So this person said to me, "What sort of deal would indicate to you?" That it was clearly Jerry Colangelo pulling strings and not, you know, and not Sam. And I was, I thought for a minute. I was like, "Hmm, I don't know." And this person goes to me. It would be something like trading for Jeff Teague, right? (laughs) Exactly. And I, that was that was that was months and months ago and yeah. i laughed and i said yeah he's good but yes yes that's exactly it so i the so f-
2: the fact that he's a an Atlanta hawk has to sting you yes well, a lot more right
1: it's a it's a punch right in the gut it's it's yeah, yeah it's it's a very I mean the only way it could be worse is if it was Horford or Millsap. I mean that's the only – because they're more Hoxie to me than Teague or Schroeder are. So I I will say – I guess my guess as to where this came from is I don't think it makes any sense. I think people have a pretty general misunderstanding about – where these things always come from. There are a million places they can come from and it's not always the team trying to do something it, sure. it, sometimes. So I guess uh, there was a lot of reaction is like, well, the Sixers want to let other teams know Noel's available. And I was like, well, you know how they could do that is they could call and say, hey, are you interested in Nerlens Noel? Or, sure. you, you know, so I, I don't think the Sixers have much to gain from – Making it look like they're about to overpay for Jeff Teague, and I think the Hawks probably have more to gain. And I think it is probably more likely that it came from. The, I think Teague probably wants out because he sees that you know if he's going into a contract year, he doesn't want to spend that contract year splitting time with Dennis Schroeder. I think that's Haw- and I think the Hawks have made it pretty clear since around the trade deadline. That, that if they had to pick one guy and they know they have to pick one guy, they're going to pick Dennis Schroeder.
2: Which is weird. I, I actually like Jeff Teague more than Schroeder. If they were making this trade for Schroeder and said like, yo, we think he's good. We think he's going to get better. We th- at least he's at, he's at a point in his career where you can see it building to something. Teague is on the wrong side of it. He's right. heading towards the wrong side and immediately has to be paid.
1: Yeah, Teague, there's no chance Teague is getting any better.
2: No, and and in fact, last year might have been his best year. Yeah, he shot forty percent from beyond, which is great, but he hasn't shot over like thirty five and a half percent in any of the other years. So I tend to trust thirty four percent shooting for six years more than one year of forty percent shooting. Yeah, I, think, I mean, if I, he's a good, ca- if he's if he continues to be a great catch and shoot player, that's exactly the kind of guy that you want with Ben Simmons. Right, but right. But right. most of his game is predicated upon the pick and roll and athleticism. And that's going down over the next four or five years.
1: Yeah, I yeah. If you look at his, I, I read somewhere his his shooting per, his three point percentage going into this year was something like thirty four and a half. Yeah. which Is as as average as you can get.
2: Yeah, much. it's incredibly average.
1: So he, but he's good. But I,
2: you know, this he's fine. No, he's yeah. he's a good NBA point guard. If he was if in a vacuum. He was the point guard in the Sixers. He'd be fine. I'd be okay with it. Yes. But you can't look at things in a vacuum. You have to explore all the context of it. And also, we haven't talked about this yet. You're really backing yourself into a corner, hoping that Embiid's healthy. If if you trade Nerlens, then you're then you have you're just, I mean, you're testing fate. You're tempting fate if 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 that happens. Because here's the thing, and and we can't get into Nerlens Jaleel argument. No, I don't want to. Because people will die. Yeah. But you need a defensive center to protect the rim on your team you do not need a center who can score in the low post no that's you don't it's it is a necessary thing people will say oh you can get more of that this in but i don't know that that's uh, true i don't think there are many more new than there are jaleels i just people seem to seem to think that there are but i just don't agree
1: in fact, look at—I mean, wouldn't Cleveland? You know, I was thinking about possible Noel trade destinations. Wouldn't Cleveland benefit right now as they try to play defense against the Warriors? And the Warriors couldn't—you know—the the Cavs did a pretty good job. It seemed like you know, chasing the Warriors off the three-point line, but there was no one to protect the paint, and you know, and the, I don't know, a Nerlens guy, and you saw Biombo, you know, and how how much of an effect he had. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It, and it does tell you between that and between just looking at DeAndre Jordan, Nerlens just needs to get bigger and stronger, like a lot. He can't get pushed around as much as he does. But even in spite of the fact that he's gotten pushed around for two years, he's had two of the best defensive seasons of anybody at his age ever, and that was last year playing out of position yeah. for most of the year. Yeah. I, so Derek... for me, it's for me, it's like I I'm fine counting on Joel Embiid and and and. Wanting him to be the guy, but if you're doing that, then trade Jaleel. Don't trade Nerlens.
1: Yes, because because Nerlens is the guy that you have more use for. Even if Embiid works out, you can at uh, Nerlens is a Nerlens is more you can move that around a little more than Okafor. Oh, and I, I, and that, without talking about the Nerlens Okafor thing, me, you know, after they trade Okafor, I'm convinced he's going to be a 25 and 12 guy for the rest of his career and we're going to rue the day we traded him. Of course, that's definitely what's going to happen. But even so, I think that is, you know, I think
2: he's good. I like to I think he's <laughs> as an offensive player, I always do this. I think he's I, a fine Offensive player with a lot of upside in that area. He just can't defend and I cannot endorse a running with a big man who can't defend.
1: Can, can I – can I just – I think it's funny. I was I – was, I, I had a couple of moments this week where I was fed up with – I was writing down a list of all the things I hated about basketball Twitter. <laughs> and, and the number one thing was how basketball Twitter calls all players by their first names. So it's, oh, Russ. Oh, Steph. Like – People that aren't even fans of those teams—that was number one. But one sure. of one of the things I really hate is just throwing around phrases like "he's going to be a 2010 guy."
2: Like that. Well, like, yeah, that's not even basketball Twitter. That's much more like basketball television. Right. Like, right that's right. much more like he gets eight rebounds. He's great. Like there's just those arbitrary, just like. Doesn't mean anything, stats in a vacuum kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and and you know what? 20 and 10 is actually, even given the the meaninglessness of the stat, is really hard to do. And there's very few guys that do it. So just throwing around that Jaleel Okafor, he has shown he's going to be a 20 and 10 guy for the rest of his career, is probably overstating it a little bit.
2: The 20 I buy, the 10 I have trouble because he was such a bad rebounder last year. So –
1: yeah, so let's I will say the, one, one more
2: thing about Nerlens because yes. because I think I think you you people undervalue him in a way that really hurts. Just because he's not like bringing the ball up on offense or like making moves like face up moves, which he has a little bit and he showed a little bit, or back to the back and stuff, he is an efficient offensive player in that you don't have to run huge plays for him. All he does is get lobs and tip dunks. That's fine. You're not. No no team is going to ask DeAndre Jordan to, like, shoot threes or do anything. It, you just need them to defend, protect the rim, and catch lobs and be inside and be a little agile and be a little strong. And, and if you can get anything else, that's gravy. But the most important thing is rebounding and protecting the rim.
1: It's sort of like saying when people say that about him, that all he does is dunk. And, you know, when people say that about – you know I, I've been a – I think DeAndre Jordan, even though he was first team all NBA, I think is sort of underrated. Um, when a guy is able to catch dunks, like dunks are the best shot. They're the number one best shot because they mm. always go in. So, so if he's – if Nerlens Noel is that efficient offensively, it's all you're asking him to do. By saying, well, he doesn't have a jumper. He can't do this. He can't do that. It's almost like saying, well – like talking about a point guard and saying, well, he, you know he doesn't protect the rim at all. And he sure. does, you know what I mean? He doesn't have a post up game. Well that's not what he's supposed to do, so I don't care if he doesn't have that.
2: And also nerland's versatility gets lost because you watch Jalil in, in open space try to defend somebody and then you watch Neurlands do it, and it's amazing how much different it is. There's instincts there that you can't teach that he just has. And I think he'll get better. If Neland's got zero percent better, I would not do this if I knew nerland's for five years was not going to get better, I would not do this Jeff Teague trade. I think that there is a thought process of okay how much are you going to have to pay Nerlens if Joel is healthy and how much will Nerlens want to pl- stay here if he's backing up Joel. But I don't think it's a max contract. Even if it is a max contract, it's it's a it's a smaller max than you have to pay Teague. I think and it's movable. So, you can always trade the, him if you need to. Yes, you can I'm not saying keep Nerlens forever, but I think until Joel proves that he's like the dude and then you can have just like, okay, Rashawn is the backup, or somebody else that they draft, whoever. Like, you you can't trade Nerlens for nothing for this like half of a piece.
1: Do you want anyway? Do you want to talk about LL and then get Ricky on the line?
2: Yeah, I got really fired up about this. Like, I was mad yeah. about the trade, like actively, like not even on Twitter. I wasn't even tweeting about all this stuff, but I was just like in my everyday life, like pissed <laughs> off and like on like on a short fuse. Well, I'm I'm
1: gonna wait till it actually happens before I. Get I
2: know, but it's I think I'm just so. Uh.
1: Well, it's so obviously wrong. That's the the. It's such an obviously bad. And trade. the people
2: that are on board with it are just not thinking far enough ahead. There's that you can't just look at it. You can't just look at things on a surface level. You can't judge a trade by its cover. You have to actually dig in.
1: <laughs> you can't judge a trade by its cover.
2: That's right. You know who wouldn't make this trade? I have an idea. LL Pavorsky, that's
1: right. There's no way he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't trade that. LL Pavorsky has the long view. LL Pavorsky has always been the exclusive sponsor of the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Oh yeah, it's LL Pavorsky Jewelers, seven zero seven seven zero seven Walnut in Philly. LL Pavorsky dot com or just call LL two one five six two seven two two five two. I asked LL L. L. for his analysis of this trade, and he said. Let me help you get an engagement ring, and I said, "Hell, hell, I'm already married. I already have an engagement ring." That's how much he wants to help. He wants to help everyone get an engagement make ring. Sense. <laughs> he wants to help everyone get an engagement ring. He's the best guy. Uh, he's a, just look. I hate to curse during his commercial, right? Mike, is it okay if I just curse once during the commercial? Go for it, man. He's a great fucking guy. He's a great fucking guy. He loves this podcast he loves the people who listen to it and he's going to take the time to make sure that you are happy with the ring that you bought that you're comfortable everything about it is going to be an easy comfortable experience and as i've said before there's free chocolate there's also an engagement ring for every price level don't think you have to go in there spending twenty five thousand dollars to get an engagement ring though you certainly can and ll can find you one of those rings look he is always available for you He's on Twitter, at pavorsky. The store, you're not going to walk in. There's not like 100 salespeople there. There's one dude. There's Chris. I think there's another dude and LL and sometimes and so- Jake. And
2: sometimes Jake. Yeah.
1: So just waltz into the store. Tell him you trust the process. 707 Walnut, com. Reach out to him on, on Twitter, at Pavorsky And as the official jeweler of the Rights Ricky Sanchez podcast, Pavorsky jeweler, uh, Jewelers makes generous donations to the Alzheimer's Association and Rain every month. LL
2: Pavorsky Jewelers. Process to progress, not progress. Bracelets. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't have it today. I just didn't have it. I just didn't have it.
1: <laughs> no, not your greatest one. But not the what best can, one. Yeah, what could you do?
2: If I just start yelling and saying it louder, I think it makes it better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Bracelet. Um, okay, let's get Ricky O'Donnell on the line and Let's do it people, You have his uh, Skype? I do, guy? I do Because I, I Skyped him last year That's right Money There we go Let's Skype him His Skype avatar is uh, Nate Robinson He's a Bulls oh, fan, is? right? Yeah.
2: There it is Yeah, yeah, he's a Bulls guy Ricky? No, nothing Money,
1: I have to tell my famous person story too that's exciting. It is. It was, I would say, not to tease it too hard, it was probably one of the top three moments of my entire life. Really? Yes.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: It's. Ricky. Uh, no, it's just still ringing. Now, tr- yeah. uh, let me cancel it and try it again. I'll hang up and try it again. Ricky O'Donnell. Ricky on the Ricky, part two. Part two. Add people. Oh, by the way, talking about Neurlands being underrated, uh, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Derek Bodner wrote a really good thing about the trade, but also, uh, oh, I think Ricky's there. Are you connected, Ricky? No, he's on. I don't hmm. hear
2: him. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Uh, Derek Bodner wrote a big, good thing about how underrated. um.
2: no says. Says. Yeah, let's try him. Again. Derek wrote a good thing. Kyle wrote a really good thing. Kyle's Rick. is always angry. He's, yeah,
1: he's the. No.
2: This is this is perfect. Like. Kyle Newbeck era yeah. this is like he had to take he had, he had to co-run Liberty Ballers for this era. Yeah, yeah, where he could just be mad. Cuz Pavorsky doesn't have it and he doesn't nope. nothing doesn't have it. He just doesn't want to he doesn't bring it all the time in that in that way. Like yeah. he's more measured and doesn't and feels like people will get upset if he's too upset yeah but- let's,
1: let's be honest even though kyle newbeck would be the first one to tell you he hates hot takes he's gonna end up on first take at some point i mean he's not- <laughs> wow 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 i'm trying love- you know ricky there's i'm getting no answer from ricky o'donnell so oh, man should i try his cell yeah try to sell um hold on um, I have to find his cell. In... Is this
2: gonna be you uh, bragging about Marquise Chris the whole time?
1: Oh well, I mean, look, <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty amazing turn of events. I think you'd have to say, um, it's this, good. Yeah, I think
2: it's so early for him.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's pretty hilarious. I you mean, know it's very funny to go from. Uh, and the Draft Express and Chad Ford. And by the way, there's someone else and I, want, I don't want to ruin it, but there's actually even someone else who has him very high, someone very – that we respect very much. All right. Let's uh...
2: – Look, I like the guy. I think he's upside. But he – you want to talk about Cam Rebound.
1: Yeah, well,
2: You need well, rebound even a little bit.
1: Look, don't. All I'm saying is, don't question my big board anymore. <laughs> this, I could be wrong a hundred times in the big board, and it never, it will never matter. It just yeah, won't matter. It,
2: you're right. All yeah, right, I'm, I'm calling fight,
1: rookies. Uh, I'm calling. Fighting a
2: runner. losing battle if I'm trying to question your big board. Yes. you're you're impenetrable.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> con is sell.
2: That's good. This is a great podcast.
1: Look, people love this or they hate it. One guy gave us three stars on iTunes because. Oh, come on! I know. Because of the because I didn't edit out Derek Bodner Zatzen out.
2: Oh, I get that. We don't do the edit. Nah, come on. Just throw, just throw it up.
1: I, I only have so much time. <laughs> well, I don't know what to do. Should I no, tell man. my famous person story and then hope yeah. that Ricky gets us? Okay.
2: Yeah, I will. Um, I'll DM him. Okay. While So,
1: I got when I got into radio. You know, I I started at Syracuse wanting to do sports radio, and that actually I gave that up pretty quickly because I hated it. And I ended up doing music radio because I really, really, really love music. And I did music radio for a long time. And I was lucky enough uh, through my my travels and working in music to meet um, some of like my pantheon of guys. And I have a very eclectic pantheon because they it represents different decade like different eras of my life you mm-hmm. know i grew up like i love guns and roses and metallica but that was when i was a, a teenager so i still love them but then so i would say the pantheon of my last decade or so includes um silver chair and andrew mcmahon from uh jack's mannequin and uh jack's yeah um and uh and amos lee and Amos Lee
2: is I've never heard of this Amos Lee guy.
1: Okay. So he is I would say big in in that genre of music. It is I would say it is a it is a soulful singer-songwriter type of guy. And he's from uh-huh. Philadelphia and he's gotten pretty big. Like he will play these big Uh, You know WXPN in Philly, right? Um, The 88.5. Like he will headline their festival and he will play – when he plays here, he'll play like the Academy of Music. Big guy. And he's – I would say he's been in my pantheon for like the last decade or so. So last night I was at – Connor Barwin does a benefit show um every year, a benefit concert for his his charity. And it's always like an indie concert or whatever. And they sell tickets that have a VIP thing. So beforehand, you get food and beer and a bunch of the Eagles players are there. And my dad always buys a pair of tickets to the VIP thing. And he asked me if I wanted to go. Now I couldn't stay for the concert and I didn't know who was playing anyway. I I didn't recognize any of the bands. There are always weird indie bands that I don't know. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I I did have time to go to the VIP thing beforehand. So we're sitting there talking to each other. And across the room, I see Amos Lee. And I get really excited. And I don't get – I've met a lot of these people. So it's hard for me to get excited. But I got really excited. And I told my dad – who of course had no clue who he was, I said, I have to go over and at least say hi and get a picture or something, even if it's rude and fanboyish, whatever. So we go over and he's talking to some lady and I just, he's still talking to her and I'm like, you know what, I'll I'll be rude. And I excused, I said, excuse me. I said, Amos, I'm a big fan. And I said, my name is. And he leans into me and gives me a hug and (laughs) says, You don't have to tell me who you are, man. I trust the process.
2: That's huge. Bro, I I can't tell you. Was that the picture of you like covering your mouth?
1: Yes. Like (laughs) I was – my dad was taking pictures like when that (laughs) happened. And I think it was the sort of reaction he always wanted when I was a kid and he would Uh introduce me to people. Uh It was like I couldn't – and he pointed to his friend who is next to him and he goes, yeah, he trusts the process too. And the guy just nods. And I'm like I, I couldn't – I couldn't handle it. I, I
2: couldn't. <laughs> You've Again. liked this guy for how how long? How old were you when you started liking this dude? Over a,
1: a decade. I would say I was probably yeah. 27. The story sure. goes back. I was I was living in Ballet-Kinwood and I was renting the top floor of a house from this guy named Jay whose daughter was a singer. And he had the CD – his daughter knew Amos Lee and gave me his EP and I loved it. And from that point on, I mean I'll tell you, I the only person I've ever – he played the Academy of Music once and I went on StubHub and spent 500 bucks for a pair of front row tickets. Like I, I fanboy out for the guy. Not
2: bad. Not bad. And it's true. Right, so Amos Lee and They Live. That's, yeah, it, that's the stuff.
1: And he couldn't – the worst part was – I couldn't even get out any of the "I love your music" stuff because yeah. he was like, "Yo, man, if they trade Nerlens Noel for Jeff <laughs> and I, I was, "What world am I in?" And then <laughs>
2: you yeah, started yeah, yeah.
1: arguing with my dad about it. So anyway, Amos Lee, uh, I, I I know not everyone who's listening will know who he is, but I know some will. Is a truster of the process, and it was a huge. very big moment. Yeah,
2: huge that's moment. huge. That's huge.
1: Yeah. So. Are we not getting Ricky? Is that
2: what no? I, I've been I've been DMing with him. He said his he just moved and his internet has been down, so he's using a hotspot. Uh,
1: so he's, he's
2: relocating. We can call him in like two minutes. Okay, all right. So we that's keep. Do the... uh, you know just another thing? It doesn't. Well, I guess we could talk about the um, the fact that PJ Carlissimo is not. Oh yeah, a Sixer. Yeah, I don't care. I mean I care a little bit. It seemed it, – those kinds of things are always weird. There's there's the excuse of like he's moving close. He wants to stay on the West Coast with his family, whatever. But like you know, anytime somebody says, yeah, I'm going to take the job and they'd be like, nah, nah. It doesn't like blend itself to, oh, the organization is in great hands, very stable, very appealing.
1: I guess what I would say is, is that I don't think people always account for the fact – of how much easier doing TV is than being a coach. Being a coach is a ridiculous grind. Sure. And to ask a guy of his stature, for lack of a better better word, to be the assistant coach of the Sixers, uh-huh. oh, by the way, you're going to spend seven months of a year on the road around away from your family to help Brett Brown, you know, I, I could see why he didn't do it. I think the reason I'm mostly bummed is because it seemed like Brett Brown wanted it. Like that yeah. was his choice, Same. you know, so I don't know who else is who else is in that. I'm trying to think. I, I
2: feel like we need like an Alvin Gentry type. Yeah, that's what I feel like we, we're missing. Yeah, yeah, he'd be well, fine. like even what about like Maurice Cheeks? get get mo cheeks back on get back in the assistant coach train over here. Yeah, well, he's not he's clearly
1: not a good head coach. So maybe he's just a really right. good assistant coach.
2: Well, he's uh he's on the he's on the Thunder.
1: Yeah, well, he, he was. Did he leave when Brooks left? Cuz I thought no, he was no. a Brooks guy. He's okay. still
2: no, he's still there. He's I saw him you could see him like watching the games and stuff.
1: How about the uh the Warriors coming back from 3-1 by the way?
2: Uh um, yeah, we haven't talked since then. No. A lot, of, a lot of action. A lot yeah. of stuff's been happening. Um they're just here. Here's what I'll say, and I have a I have a actual basketball thing to say. Okay. Because we only we don't really talk about basketball that much. We talk about team building.
1: Yeah, I feel like we should talk uh, about basketball
2: more. Now. About basketball, yeah. sure. Yeah. The so the first half of the series, let's say, they were trying to get Steph the ball, running through screens, trying to get him trying to get him open, and the Thunder were just too long, too tough, too rough with them. They were pretty much just like beating him up anytime he would go down the lane, every time they would try to run elevator doors, whatever. And it, when he wasn't getting open, they weren't getting the ball, or they were getting the ball too late in the shot clock or whatever, and the refs were letting him play. Then a couple games later, they're down 3-1, whatever, all of a sudden, Steph, is just, Steph has the ball in his hands, Steph's running the pick and roll. And then they get him isolated on a guy like Stephen Adams or Anus Cantor or Serge Ibaka, and then he does that step back yep unguardable unguardable dribble step back that people I mean you know what he's gonna do and you can't get there fast enough because it's already being released and I think I don't think he missed that shot at all and that's what gave him the lead in game six obviously clay hitting shots but Steph really finally opening up and and like making them pay that I think that was that was a very impressive coaching decision to see them being like all right he's not we're not it's not working
1: yeah, and the the I mean, Clay Thompson was an animal, by the way. Yeah. and I think you know, really, I got, I, I uh, you know, Jay Caspian Kang, who used to work for Grantland, yeah, yeah. And, and he, I thought he had a a he had a, a series of tweets that I agreed with when the Thunder lost Game Six, and he said, you know, he said it's almost become sort of if you have a opinion. He said he couldn't believe that nowhere on ESPN's website did it say that the Thunder choked in Game 6, that nobody oh, had that opinion. Everybody and, has that opinion. Well, but I don't know if everyone – it's almost you, like –
2: You love you love the choking narrative. Well, that's no, like, no, I that's, don't. That's, that's no, the I don't. big thing of you. No, in, in, no, at no, That's the no. talk radio spike. That, no, that no, thing.
1: it is – no. See, that is the problem, I think. I think the problem is, is that – there's this weird segment of – and it's another basketball Twitter thing that you – that that actual – that people can't choke. That LeBron – you know, I was a LeBron guy. But LeBron, you know, uh, clearly choked a couple of times. Clearly. You know, like when he – in what that, if just, it, what if the Warriors are just the best team of all time? Well, they they are. But when you're up three games to one, right, and you have and and not only are the Warriors the best team of all time, sure, but everyone at that point had said, okay, well, here is the solution to beating it. And not only that, you have two of the best, arguably two of the best five, but definitely two of the best six or seven players in all of basketball. Yeah. You have Game Six at home. You're up by double digits, and on. You know, uh, you know the last six possessions, you you get you turn the ball over five times, and on the last thirteen possessions, you have one or fewer passes. Twelve of thirteen times, like maybe you choked. You know, like maybe the moment got, maybe the other team's good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there is a world in which I don't
2: think it's choke. I think choke choke implies that they, they don't have it, and it just like they just no. play, they just played better. It's it, when you tighten up at the end of games. We've seen it a million times with the Sixers on this much smaller scale, it's harder to get stuff going. And when Andre Godala is covering you and getting his hands in everything, then it's especially hard to get things going. And the Thunder have always been a team where they're not necessarily using each other. They're not necessarily like running plays. It's a lot of one-on-one ball. I don't. I think choke, choke implies something that is just wrong, and it's an easy way to explain it away. And I think that that, that is the... The just sort of bullshit talk radio stuff. No,
1: I th- and stop with the talk radio stuff because
2: then no, I'll just – No, it's uh, just because it's bullshit. But
1: you don't even listen to talk radio, so you don't even know what I, is on I talk didn't, radio. I did not I
2: have my, in my life. You talk about basketball Twitter. I'll talk about talk radio. Well,
1: but, but you don't I, – I see basketball Twitter. You don't listen to sports talk radio. I have. When was the, the last time that you've actually listened to sports talk radio? When I was home.
2: When I was home and driving.
1: Okay, so so what for a half an hour in the last five years?
2: Has ta- has, ta- has sports talk radio changed much in the last ten years? Is Angelo doing something different in the last ten years? But
1: there's more than Angelo. Like I, there was nobody on my air saying that the Thunder choked. Nobody. I mean, I I, I think I I think there is a world in which that that you you can say both things happened you can say that that the the warriors were really good and really like to to also Uh, dismiss that narrative is to also say that the Warriors didn't show any like guts and gumption and 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 heart in what they did and I think they showed all of those things to be down 3-1 and to be losing by by double digits and also to have the other teams two stars essentially laughing at your star on a, a podium after losing by the way like I think all of that stuff exists it's more than just playing basketball right I mean playing basketball is a big part of it but When the moment becomes bigger, some people are better than others. And I think, you know, I think Russell Westbrook's desire to um, prove that he's as good as he thinks he is um, can overcome him. And that's a mental thing. And I think like the Warriors coming back was amazing. It was an amazing thing to see. What Clay Thompson did was amazing. But to whittle that down to he's just good at three pointers is as unfair to him as to, you know, just say that the the thunder lost because they're not as good right i, I mean know.
2: i i think it was if the warriors lost that series it was the warriors choked and if the thunder lost that series now it's the thunder choke i think it's just i think maybe it's just the term choke that i if you could say the thunder blew it they certainly blew it but i think choked implies that they're like that it's not about what the warriors did or it's not it it, it no, but i it, it, redu- it reduces it to just one word it's just like they choked and right, i think I'm, that's why i think that's the like Talking head thing that that bums me out because it's like it goes it goes more into that. All of a sudden, I mean, sometimes you hit shots, sometimes you don't hit shots.
1: Yeah, but I I, I think well then we're we're not disagreeing as much as I I thought we were. I I just think you know to to Ricky's
2: ready. Ricky's ready by the way.
1: Okay, well finally, <laughs> Jesus. All right, should I do him on Skype or on his phone? Oh, there he is. Uh, he's on. I think he's I think on Skype. He's on Skype. His his little green check is on. There we go.
2: Ricky. Yo,
1: what's up? There he is!
2: Sorry about that. What's up, buddy? No, you're good.
1: You're on the podcast, buddy.
2: Sweet. You moved? Where'd you move to? I just moved a few blocks down the street. You live in Chicago,
0: correct? Correct. How's that going? It's cool. It's nice. The uh, plumbing in our last place stopped working for two months. Oh. (laughs) So it was (laughs) a rough last two months at the old place. Where in Chicago do you live? Uh, Wicker
1: Park. Oh, there you go. The So you can follow Ricky on Twitter at uh, Ricky underscore SBN, of course. No, the other way. other oh, way around. SBN Ricky, right. SBN underscore Ricky. And uh, of course, read his work at uh, SB Nation. Ricky, really, we have you on for one purpose and one purpose <laughs> only, is that is to talk about Uh, the nation finally recognizing that Marquise Chris should be a top three or four pick based on my YouTube scouting of last week's podcast. Could you talk a little bit about that?
0: (laughs) What a world, really, for Marquise (laughs) Chris to be able to rise up that much. And I really think it's a symptom of just the fact that like, after the top two in this draft, there's not a lot separating, like three through 14. Uh, Really, I think that you know, those guys in that mix could go in any order because there isn't like a clear hierarchy the way there is most years and the way there was certainly last year. Uh and Chris, you just look at him and I mean there's a lot to like. I think this draft in particular has a lot of one way players. A lot of guys, you could look at Henry Ellenson. he's gonna be an awesome offensive player, but you know, I don't know if Henry Ellenson's gonna be able to stay on the floor much defensively. Uh I think Jalen Brown, you know, he's sort of got the tools that you look for, the body, I guess, of a of a top five pick but he doesn't really have the game for it yet so chris is sort of the one guy who kind of combines everything you want he's just uh he isn't much of a finished product at this point but uh chris might be the most athletic player in the draft i think he's someone who coming out of washington coming into washington he wasn't even a top 50 recruit i think he was only around 60 in last year's recruiting rankings i didn't even know who he was as someone who covers recruiting uh you know when he was coming into washington because he uh, really was not – he wasn't on the map much in terms of, you know, the blue-chip guys you're looking at heading into the college basketball season. But you just look at him, he's so athletic. He's got such a nice jump shot. And, uh, I mean, for a Washington team that I don't think a lot of people saw, sort of just this prospect with uh, such a great blend of skills and athleticism that you're really looking for in today's game, I think that, you know, that's kind of how he's been able to sort of shoot up the charts. I, it's, I, it's, I weird
2: because, the... it's weird because It's weird because – Dragon Bender is a is a two way player and seemingly a more finished product, maybe not quite as athletic, but seemingly a more polished guy. And usually the narrative is like, here's this international guy who nobody knows about. And is probably like four years away from being four years away. But like it's the opposite in this in this instance. And we have Marquis Chris shooting up the boards like he's like he's this, you know, he's a project. He's the total project.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some downsides with Chris. Like, his rebounding numbers were pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do think that despite the fact that he's super athletic, you wonder how he's going to defend in space and things like that. Uh, but, you know, offensively, I think, he's going to be able to finish lobs. He's going to be able to hit jump shots. So, I don't know. In this draft, if you're picking it three or four, he, Go for he it. might be the type of player you roll the dice on. Yeah.
1: You know, I will say, though, that I also think there's probably a little – when the vertical starts covering it and Chad Ford has him jump up, I mean, Draft Express is one thing. I sort of think that maybe that 3 to 14 ambiguity, which you which you talked about, has, has given an agent a uh, mm-hmm. an opening to maybe try to get a guy some talk that, um, you know, because of that ambiguity. And I sort of feel like maybe somebody's agent is working a little bit behind the scenes to get his guy a little bit of talk. And I don't... I it just it came out of it really is funny how it came out of nowhere and just when I see it on the major sites you know if draft draft express does so many mocks and you do a hundred mocks you I think you you sometimes do well maybe this could happen or maybe this yeah. could happen but when uh, when it starts getting on Yahoo
0: and ESPN and stuff it makes me
1: think maybe there's some other
0: things at play that's um, funny you bring that up though just really quickly because yeah. in the last Chad Ford mock he had Chris's teammate Dejounte Murray from Washington. Going number ten, which is about twenty-five spots higher than I've ever seen him before. Yeah, I first thought uh, when I saw that was that might be an agent, uh, you know, pushing the agenda a little bit. Chris, it's it's been on enough sites now that. I do know. I guess I'm actually starting to believe it. <laughs> the uh, You know, it's funny.
1: We were going into this. I think uh, both Mike and I and most of us expected a long, drawn-out debate about Brandon Ingram and Ben Simmons. But that debate seems to have – though there are still Ingram people, it seems to have been quelled because the noise from the Simmons camp about not wanting to come here – all that thi- all that stuff has gone away, and there's been enough reports that the Sixers really like Simmons that it seems like a done deal. Do you, yeah. you have Simmons clearly ahead of Ingram? I guess we don't have to dwell on that, but is is that how you have it?
0: You know, I've always sort of been an Ingram guy, uh, especially from the Sixers position. I did a couple mock drafts for SB Nation uh, in the run-up to the lottery where I had Ingram number one just for fit reasons. But after reading a lot of the very passionate 76ers bloggers and fans out there, I think— <laughs> I think they've started to change my mind a little bit. Like, I think it might have been Mike who said, if they get Joel Embiid and they get Ben Simmons together uh, in the front court, if that's their front court pairing, I think that, you know, that that could wipe away a lot of wrongdoing uh, from the Colangelos, from maybe even the previous administration. So uh, I think I'm on board now. You guys convinced me. There we go. <laughs> ben Simmons. There we go. Uh,
2: so we're looking at, I'm just looking at. I have two big boards. I have one if they take Ingram, one if they take Simmons. So I'm just looking at the one if I take Simmons. And I'm looking at, we don't want, and I'm sure you probably agree, uh, we don't want the Jeff Teague trade to happen. So let's assume that the Jeff Teague trade doesn't happen. What, what point guard in the draft, and I'm looking, I guess, at either Demetrius Jackson or Tyler Ulis, uh, would you most want to fit with Ben Simmons if they package 24 and 26 up to get into like the
0: late lottery, late teens kind of thing? That's interesting. You know, I think Denzel Valentine would really help out uh, the Sixers, too, just because the Sixers obviously need shooting. They need ball handlers. So Valentine, not a classic point guard, though he was the nominal point guard at Michigan State last season. That's sort of when Michigan State took off their point guard, Tom Tom Nair, and got hurt. Uh, Denzel started handling point guard duties, surrounded him with shooters. And, you know, before the first game of the NCAA tournament, they were pretty awesome. But, you know, Valentine's a guy who I think could help him out a lot. Uh, i'm not huge on demetrius jackson i love tyler ulis because we're from the same part of the universe and uh he's just my guy but i don't know he's so small i guess ish smith is small too and ish smith had a lot of success in philadelphia i just think that ulis doesn't really have the ceiling i guess uh you know someone who you could really build your team around just because of the size limitations but he proves everyone wrong at every level so who am i to doubt him as he enters the nba draft uh and I don't know if twenty four and twenty six is going to be able to get him up high enough for Wade Baldwin, but obviously, if he's someone who could you know slip past the lottery, I think that would be the guy you're targeting. yeah, Wade Baldwin is my absolute dude. I
2: think that there's a bunch of guys that in college they don't play as well, like Amon Schumbert was kind of like that where he was expected to do stuff at Georgia Tech that like they just didn't have the personnel to do, so it ended up affecting his stock negatively. And I think that that sort of the same thing happened to Baldwin, although it's a weaker draft class. So like people are still overlooking that for the for the, the tools that are there. But in terms of wingspan and in terms of like hitting shots, especially off the catch, like that's the guy you want to pair with Ben Simmons, just who can defend
0: and who can like he's a little athletic. I, he, he feels perfect to me if they can if they can get up there. Yeah, he pairs well with everyone. Like I'm a Bulls fan, and the Bulls having the 15th pick, I think that like he would be the perfect guy next to Jimmy Butler too. Like someone with that sort of skill set who doesn't need the ball, who can hit spot up exactly. jumpers, who defends multiple positions. Like they're just going to fit in everywhere, and it really just opens things up for the construction of the rest of your team. And that's my concern with Valentine. I like Valentine a lot in a vacuum i don't know that he'd be perfect with simmons because
2: i worry that i mean his maybe this is just me but his form on his three-point shot i don't know that it's gonna stick at the next level as well as it has i mean he shot like 44 percent from deep at, in college this year like that's i don't know that's sustainable um i he seems like a guy that also would be of course
1: Guys, are you guys there? Yeah. Hmm, I lost you completely. Mike, are you there? (laughs) Now it's just me and you, Ricky. Mike, Mike, are you there? Yeah, let me call Mike. This is the greatest. (laughs) This podcast.
0: I didn't realize that uh, we were live on this. I'm glad I got that sweet plumbing story in. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're always (laughs) live. Mike, are you there? I'm here. That was rough.
2: That was old school.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Well, let's what happened? Denzel Valentine again, Mike. Yeah. Well, I liked Denzel Valentine. He ended up on my uh, my uh, YouTube big board. Let me let me ask you this: it, of the the those top fourteen guys, do you have a guy that you like least, like most bust guy, and a, a most surprising, like a guy that you like the most out of not counting those top two? You know, the guy that you think might surprise people
0: uh i've been on the is it lulu Owl bandwagon is that how you pronounce it the- uh, I think it's lulu L-WOWU. L-WOWU. Or, yes yes him uh you know just because he's a guy who in a in a draft without a lot of wing depth yep he's a little bit older he's 21 years old but he's got the athleticism i think the youtube scouting report is out i'm mean, <laughs> really finish above the rim <laughs> uh he had a pretty good three-point percentage through the years he's got long arms he just looks like someone who could come in and play on both ends of the floor and like I said this yeah. draft doesn't have a ton of guys uh who project like that but I'm gonna throw another name out there who he's probably gonna go in the lottery but I feel like I haven't heard much buzz about him that's Henry Ellenson I think Henry is gonna be an awesome offensive player he's someone who to me I think is just gonna be able to get buckets uh you know he can be a potential 20 point per game scorer and You know, especially if he's surrounded uh, in the right lineups, I think that he could be super good. I don't know if he's going to be able to stay on the floor defensively, but like to me, he could be a better version of Ryan Anderson. I think Ryan Anderson's had a really good career. Do you think that Ellenson can step out like Anderson can? I think he's going to be able to. His three-point percentage wasn't very high. Uh, at Marquette, I think it was only 28%. But he was forced to take some bad shots for that team because they didn't have a lot of talent around him. Right. And he's just super, super skilled. Uh, I talked to him at the draft combine, and he told me that he models his game after Carmelo Anthony, which I always thought was a seven-footer. That's just good stuff right there. That's the evolution of the game uh, in practice, really. And he's a guy who also uh, is able to take rebounds coast-to-coast. Coast. Yeah. He's just really skilled. I think that people are sleeping on him a little bit.
1: Is there a guy you like the least?
0: I'm not a huge Jamal Murray fan. Uh, I think that, you know, Murray's gotten a ton of buzz uh, because he played at Kentucky because his three-point numbers were just devastatingly high. I think he hit... He took like eight threes a game this year, I want to say, and he was hitting over 40%, but he's really limited athletically. And when he mm-hmm. came into Kentucky, I think that people thought that, you know, this guy was ultimately going to be a point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't really get a chance to show that at UK because they had Euless entrenched there. Maybe he's able to do that uh, in the NBA, but. You know, from watching him, I think he's still a a ways away from being a point guard. He's mostly going to be a spot up shooter, but I don't think he's going to be able to stay on the floor defensively. uh, And I just don't know how much he's going to bring to a team, like in terms of creativity off the dribble. Yeah, he's a guy that I don't, I used to like a lot more, but I don't like him in a vacuum
2: now. But when you get a guy like Simmons, all of a sudden that sort of player is more appealing because you don't need like a buddy heel Also more appealing. You just need shooters. He's got to surround yeah. him with guys that can just stroke like a Furcon. Korkmaz. We need another, yeah. f- another Furcon over here. Do you, always do, you use do, one. Do, do you do much, uh, do you do much international scouting or are you just no, doing I, the, are you
0: watching the same videos kn- as us? I don't know. Yeah. I'm watching the same videos as you guys. Oh, I don't, shit. I don't, I wish I knew more about the international guys because it does feel to me like that is still the great market inefficiency of the NBA draft uh, all these years later. Like, Porzingis should have gone higher than four. If you look yep. at the 2013 draft, uh, the best player might be Giannis. He went 15. The second best player is probably Gobert. He went 27. And then Schroeder was in that draft too. He was like 17. Uh, so like, even, what is it, 15 years or 17 years after Dirk, it still feels like the international guys uh you know, might be the market inefficiency of the draft, but obviously uh, you know, people like us are sort of limited in how much we can actually see of them.
2: Yeah, well, there was that run of a few years where it, they were taken too high, and it was like they didn't produce, there was nothing. And now there's sort of the pushback of like, oh, well, we can't take him too high, it's an international. There's that narrative of, oh, he's just an international guy, probably too soft, never going to put it together. And then between Giannis and Kristaps, now I think it's probably going to go the other way. It's going to go back to just uh, like well, you know, you never know. Like I like a guy like Isaiah Cordany a lot, but he's playing against like mostly low level talent. He's not playing in like the league, so I don't, you don't, you. It's hard to tell like watching guys against uh, worse competition or at least unknown competition.
0: He was the hoop summit guy too, right? The two yeah. guard. Yeah, he didn't look great at the hoop. Summit. I was uh, no. very interested in uh, checking him out, at least in the game. And practice reports uh, weren't super glowing either. But just to throw this out at you guys, I sort of feel like the the difference there, if you're looking at, like, shout out to Nikolaj Skidishvili. From the That's Duggan, right. Fifth pick in, like, <laughs> 2001. Darko, maybe yeah. you guys can uh, help me on this. But I feel like those dudes weren't very athletic. And sort of the athleticism right. of the international players is the one kind of great equalizer in a sense because at yeah. least if you look at the guys who have been really good lately like i would say porzingis has elite athleticism for 7-3 and yeah. Giannis obviously elite athlete gobert elite athlete schroeder maybe the quickest point guard in the league or among the quickest point guards in the league so to me when i'm evaluating uh the international guys i really want to see just their athleticism i know it's hard to gauge uh yeah you know from watching on YouTube but I think that that could be the great equalizer when you when you're talking about the international players.
1: Yeah, I think I've I've mentioned before the hard thing for me to tell and uh, Mike mentioned Corkmouse, but even with what's his name last year uh, Hazonia is that the the international game is so much more free flowing that that those when we're watching that when we're all watching those same videos, it seems like they have more opportunities to ex- display their athleticism, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, there's just more room in general for them to jump and for them to sort of glide that um, you almost see it more than you do with a lot of the college players I do because they get the college game is so much less fluid than the international Oh, games, yeah, you know? definitely.
2: Two guys that I like a lot, that one of them is getting like it seems like he's on his way up and the other one still doesn't really get much publicity are DeAndre Bembry and Pat McCaw can you talk about those guys they're kind of similar in the way they can do everything and their shot is not quite
0: there yet can you talk about those guys and, and yeah I'm like gonna write them? a story on McCaw for SB Nation pretty soon uh, he was someone who he's just been under the radar his whole life uh, yeah. he was on Okafors Mac Irvin Fire AAU team. That team was really absolutely loaded. It had Cliff Alexander, Julia for a bunch of other uh studs on that team. He didn't even start on his own AAU team, and now he's, you know, in the draft after his second year. Uh, kid from the St. Louis area. He really so like when he entered UNLV, they had uh Rashad Vaughn from mm-hmm. Bucks. He ended up being one and done. He was a McDonald's All-American. Uh, They had your boy, Christian Wood. That's right. So, like, he was really overshadowed on that team. He was able to get on the floor because he was an elite perimeter defender. Uh, So that's how he earned his minutes. And to me, like, for young players entering the NBA, the best way to earn your minutes is defensively. He's already done that at one stop in his career. And then his jump shot just ended up being a lot more projectable than I think people might have thought uh, on the recruiting trail or whatever it was. He's got a really high release on his jump shot. Watch him do some YouTube scouting on that, and you'll see that, uh, you know, I think that that's a guy who's going to be able to shoot better in the NBA than his college percentages indicated. I think he was like 37 or 38 in college, somewhere around there. But uh, he, he could be a legit 3 and D guy, I think. McCone, yeah. uh, you know, if the Sixers are keeping 24, he would be a really good option at that spot, I think. I would love it. He's so skinny. He's I that
2: all, all skinny guys. Spike is concerned by fat guys yeah. and skinny guys. Anybody in the middle is okay, but fat guys and skinny guys are, are tough because it's like, well, work on your body, man. What are you doing? Well, yeah.
1: Go ahead. At least to me, fat guys shows that you don't care. Skinny guy could. I, I think skinny guy sometimes is a product of age, and I you know I, I just feel like there's more. To me, it feels like there's more. There's more times when the skinny guy grows into a man body, and even if he stays skinny, he at least puts on man weight and becomes all right. The fat man guys, weight, yeah. Well, no, I, I mean, like, there's a big difference between being 25, 26, 27 years old, just in your physical makeup than when you're 19 you know i think like they they just get stronger because it's easier to put on size i think like fat guys just tell me that they, they don't care
0: that much so i'm out i'm always this out is, of fat guys. this is where i remind you that kevin durant could not bench press the bar right yes. <laughs> whatever it was at the draft combine like i guess it's not the bar they probably put 185 on there but he couldn't get it up one time back in yeah. 2007 or whatever it was
2: what about um, – is, is Torian Prince like an actual 3 and D guy or is he a philosophical 3 and D guy and not actually in practice?
0: You, you know what? He's someone who I think would be a lot better at the 4 than the 3. Yeah. Uh, when the Simmons go to – or er, when the, when the Simmons go to the death line up with Simmons at the 5. That's right. In 2021, I think <laughs> that Torian Prince could be could be pretty solid at the 4 and extra, but – yeah, I don't know. He's someone who I, I really think that this draft has a lack of wings, so you want to kind of like project a guy like him into the small forward spot instead of the power forward spot. But uh, he's a legit six nine. I think that you know he he doesn't have the best lateral quickness, but he's a guy who throughout his entire career was able to get buckets. He, he can score. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and he's a pretty good three point shooter. I don't know if he's you know an, a knockdown type guy. He's capable, but I don't know if he's a great shooter. Uh, I would say that he he'll be better on the at the four than the three, just because it would give him a matchup advantage with his quickness.
2: Can you can you talk about like just for I I don't like the the idea of this is a weak draft class always bums me out, which I agree. Outside of the top two, there's there's not a bunch of elite talent, but there's a lot of guys in this draft class. There's a lot of fucking just dudes that can play, and whether or not you can fit them in, whether or not they're going to be two way stars, there's a lot of guys that have one skill so you can talk about like people being down on this draft and
0: just like convince them that they shouldn't be yeah i think what you just said right there hits a nail on the head there's not a lot of two-way guys but i do think there's a lot of dudes that are going to be able to contribute something to the table uh i already talked about Allen but he's sort of like the perfect example of that like i think offensively he's going to be really good defensively who knows murray's kind of the guard version of that buddy Hield, uh, same healed, thing you know tremendous shooter i You know, I don't want to write off Heald's defense just because I don't think anyone ever asked him to play defense in Oklahoma. People forget that he was the Big 12 player of the year as a junior, too, and then as a senior, obviously the best player in the country. Like, he always had a tremendous load offensively that he had to carry. He also has long arms, quick feet. I'm not, like, super high on Heald coming into this, but, you know, the thing with someone like that or any of these guys, like, someone's got to go three, someone's got to go four, someone's got to go five, and that's kind of going to set the expectations for the rest of their career when that's sort of a bummer, I think, yeah. because uh, these dudes are still good players, but it's just tough to live up to like being the number three pick. You're expected to be a franchise changer in that position, the number four pick. Whereas these guys, I think, are going to be a lot of them are just going to be like just solid role player dudes more than anything. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, basically what you said, I completely agree with. I'm, I'm not sure how many two way guys there are in this in this draft. Valentine's another one. Like I watch Valentine. At a game against Northwestern, and he could not beat the Northwestern guards off the dribble. Like, oh my God, this is pretty damning. And then he ends with a triple double, and he's hitting like pull up threes from thirty feet. So, uh, someone like that, another offensive specialist. Uh, I think that this draft has quite a few guys who, if they're put in the right position, uh, you know, surrounded by the type of talent that can bring out their best traits. This draft is going to have some good players down the line. There's no doubt about it. There's good players yeah. in every draft. Like last time there was a weak draft, Kawhi Leonard won 15.
2: Yeah. There's, we can play with that.
1: Valentine with that. Valentine is an interesting case of a guy who isn't fat but also isn't athletic. <laughs> I, you know, I like him. I liked watching him because I feel like he can play. He's one of those guys that is already so slow – that he can play in the league for 15 years because he's gonna have he's already figured out how to be slow, but he's not fat, <laughs> so I can't quite figure him out. He's slow man, <laughs> he's got that great.
2: blogger
0: speed out there. Yeah, yeah.
2: that's right. What about uh, a couple guys that I I'm intrigued by and always and sort of like hard to read in uh, Malcolm Brogdon and Karis Levert? Levert obviously had the injury, but both guys that sort of excel like shooting the ball and could and hopefully project as good defenders to the next level what do you what do you like with those guys
0: so like Levert is the team captain of the skinny guys he came into michigan at like 160 pounds and then you know you always hear like you know, the muscle watch stories at the beginning of the year uh, Best shape of his life
2: Best shape things.
0: of his life Karis Levert puts on you know 25 pounds to get Bounds to pure 6 yeah. 7 185 yeah. it's like <laughs> he's still the skinniest person you can possibly imagine uh I loved watching Levert when he broke out uh, for Michigan a couple years ago. I thought that he was someone who could really make a killing in sort of that Rip Hamilton-type role of scooting around screens, uh, hitting jumpers from, if not three-point range, at least from uh, mid-range. I I thought Levert would be a really good NBA prospect at one point in his career. But man, when you miss two straight seasons uh, because of injuries, it's just it's hard at this point to... To, to ride for Karis Levert because uh, I don't I don't need to tell you guys, but the foot injuries are just scary moving forward. We like guys that miss two seasons in a row. That's sort of a <laughs> <what laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, our whole thing is based around those guys. If you haven't <laughs> at least missed one season, we're not interested.
2: Oh no, yeah, no thanks. We need those mentally tough, like yeah. very desperate, like borderline psychotic guys that just need to prove themselves to everybody. Uh, yeah. The
0: process lives on through Karis <laughs> <Yeah>. LeVert. That's, <laughs> that's right, that's true. And Brogdon, I was super high on Brogdon for a while. I thought that he would sort of be the perfect 3 and D guy. Then I was sitting courtside at the Sweet 16. Uh, no, it was the Elite Eight, actually. It was in the same building. But at the Elite Eight for Virginia versus Syracuse. And Brogdon was getting torched by Malachi Richardson. Uh, Richardson yeah. just a way more athletic. And I look at Richardson as a guy who, I like Richardson for sure, but like he doesn't scream great athlete to me. And he was, totally. He was burning Brogdon. You know, maybe it's one game. Maybe um, you read too much into that because Brogdon certainly had a hell of a four-year career at Virginia. He was arguably the best perimeter defender in the country. He's also someone who's going to turn 24 during his rookie season. Uh, so you know, you gotta you gotta take that into account. He's got the long arms, though. He's always been a pretty good three-point shooter. He led Virginia in scoring for three years, so he's someone who can definitely get a bucket in a pinch. Uh, like I said, his reputation, I think, is uh, was was pretty accurate defensively. I mean, he locked up Ingram for for one game during the regular season. He locked up Cat Barber for another game during the regular season. He was one of the most explosive scoring guards in the country uh, this past yeah. year for C State. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. You don't want to read too much into one NCAA tournament game. I think that happens to a lot of guys during this time of the year. But I, I would t- I would roll the dice at Malcolm Brown. If nothing else, he's someone who's going to, uh, you know, come in and do the little things that, like, people like us overlook but coaches would love in terms of, like, I don't know, like showing up early and uh, leading sure. by example and just, like, saying and doing, you know, the right things, I guess. Uh, that's, a, that's the thing
2: is that if, if we're looking at this draft like, okay, it's a bunch of – a, p- a couple wild cards, but mostly a bunch of, like, good role players. I don't get upset at the fact that he's – there's a bunch of seniors in this draft and the guys that, like – I don't look at being ready to contribute right away as a bad thing. I think yeah. it's, like – usually it's, like, oh, that's, like, the Doug McDermott bullshit where it's, like, yeah, he's he's ready to contribute right away, but he's actually just not that good. For me, it's like everybody in this draft class is sort of role-player-esque. And so, like, let's get the guy who has proven it already and not the guy who can grow into a role-player.
0: Uh, first of all, that Doug McDermott Burns still hurts. <laughs> years later, I'm, I still can't get over that one. Uh, but, yeah, I totally agree. Like, and Bragman's really the perfect indicator of that he's, he's just been a really solid role-player already for Virginia for three, four years. So. Uh, Definitely. I think you're onto something there. Who, Taj okay, Gibson, so this look, is what I was going to say. Taj Gibson was old when the Bulls drafted him, too. He turned 24 during his rookie year. I hated that pick because the Bulls yeah. had Tyrus Thomas already. And I'm like, you know, Tyrus Thomas is younger. Trust Tyrus Thomas here. And he's <laughs> my favorite athletes ever. So. I get that. But, uh, we don't have a second-round
2: pick right now, but g- looking at guys that would be available in the second round, who do you like?
0: Ooh, I kind of like Steven Zimmerman from UNLV. I guess I shouldn't oh. talk centers, since we're only talking Sixers here. No, but, we, we
1: sure. only have guys that miss a year and only have centers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's perfect.
0: So I'm going to give you two centers then. Him and uh, Onaku from Louisville. Yeah. I Onaku is just going to be someone who locks down defensively from day one. When he was on the court, Louisville was just like an amazing team. When he was off the court, they were just kind of a middling team. He really doesn't have – much going for him offensively and he's kind of short for an NBA center but uh his positioning is great he's real athletic he plays super competitively uh he's someone who i like quite a bit he seems like very in the mold of like uh uh
2: jokic like everybody's seeming that same like people that were riding
0: for jokic are also riding for Onuwaku. very analytics guy yeah the advanced stats all-star absolutely yeah. i like gary payton the second too yes uh, I don't know how he fits with Ben Simmons, because he can't shoot, certainly. Right. But uh, Dude, if, if Gary Payton could learn to shoot, and I feel like that's on the table for Gary Payton. Like, you can kind of tell with guys like whether or not they're, they're going to have a prayer of fixing the jump shot. I feel like Payton could probably do it, because uh, if he can do it, he's another guy who's going to turn 24 during his rookie year, but he's going to be awesome because he's so athletic. Uh, he's got great size at like 6'3", 6'4". Terrific perimeter defender, uh, just like his old man. He's someone who just makes like game-breaking plays on the defensive yeah. end. And also a really, really good facilitator. Uh, yeah. It's tough to keep Gary Payton out of the teeth of the defense. I think he's going to be able to have success during that in the NBA as well. You know, you just wonder about the jumper. The Jays are a little broken right now. Yeah. But if, if he can get that going, he could be a really good player, I think. But like, like, honestly, he, what's he has the a difference? higher upside than Uless. Than yeah. Like Demetrius Jackson. Totally. I think that's a hot take right there, but, like...
2: I don't uh, think it is. Like, what's the difference between Gary Payton II and Marcus Smart? Like, what, realistically, like, they're a similar player, except, to me, Payton seems more explosive.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Smart was a good prospect, because, if you remember, if he, he could have been a one-and-done in a top-ten pick and decided to come back. Uh, there Like, the Magic were talking about taking him four in that draft, I think. I remember, yeah. Back to Oklahoma State, if memory serves. Uh but no, I totally agree. At least skill set-wise, pretty similar. Gary Payton just took the super scenic route to college basketball Start <laughs> in prep school for a year. He was a, two years at JUCO uh, before he blossomed into this great player. So, you know, he's a little older. you got to take that into account. But skill set-wise, uh, you know, he, he looks like a pretty good prospect in this draft. Well, we'll I love get, a JUCO guy.
1: We'll get him and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Glenn Robinson. What is it? The third, and we'll just yeah. reproduce. We had 90s... Glenn Rice Jr.
2: Also,
0: we yes, Rice. yes. Oh,
2: was... We'll just
1: we reproduce the '90s All Stars with their with their uh,
0: with their children. I got two that's more cool. guys, real quick. Uh, first, Sheldon McClellan
2: from yes. Miami.
0: You're talking yeah. about three and D guys. I think that that's another dude going to be 24 again. He's he's an elder, an elder man in this draft, but. Uh, he's someone who, Texas transfer, came into Miami, he was just nasty for the Hurricanes this year. Uh, if you're looking at 3 and D guys, I think that he's someone who definitely fits in the mix. And Dorian Finney-Smith from Florida, uh, 6'8", mm-hmm. 220. He could be the Chris Middleton of this draft, I think. If, if you're looking at someone with just like super long arms, really good three-point stroke, uh, Finney-Smith, I think, could be a major steal in the second round. I I like it. I I wanted Jaron Blossom game, but he
2: stayed. He's staying at Clemson. He's a guy I like a lot. But I like it, Ricky. I like what you're saying. I like. Uh, also, one last thing, because Spike's got to wrap it up. But I like Mike Gabenje. I think he's. I think Gabenje is going to be a better player in the NBA than Malachi. That's my. Yeah, that's I've been
0: on team. the Gabenje bandwagon. Uh for a while he's awesome he's just electric with the ball uh i, I guess the question with him is the shooting too i don't know i, I don't know is three-point shooting numbers off the top of my head but uh you know with his size at point guard
1: lots of <laughs> <lot of laughs> my dog my dog, dog likes beaches. him too my dog likes <laughs> could you guys start naming guys that were also sons of 90s players so i could at least recognize
2: the name oh man <laughs> i think i might i think i might be out <laughs> no you're there well, Ricky, I still have him. Ricky, no, I'm i in out on out of '90s players. Oh,
1: <laughs> okay. Um, well, I gotta go. Very um, right, cool, Ricky. Hey, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. When are you gonna trade us Jimmy Butler?
0: Hopefully, never. Oh, but geez. you never know with the Bulls; they yeah. tend to infuriate me all the time. So I guess it's on the table.
1: Well, our our luck will give you Nerlens, and we'll get Derrick Rose. So that that's what will <laughs> probably happen. So, um, all right, buddy. I'll see you guys. Thanks, Ricky. Thanks, Ricky. Appreciate it. Um, Well, that's that's Ricky. Um, All right,
2: Mike. I love him. I love him. Always good talk.
1: Yeah, I love when it delves into the players. I've, once you once you get past the top ten, I've never heard of anybody.
2: I know that's why I, <laughs> I, I I'm I'm rushing to get past the top ten because I, I want you to be totally out.
1: Well, from now when we have Elon on, uh, all the, like there's nothing really more to talk about with Ben Simmons and like the top guys. I feel like we've beaten to death. So when we have yeah. Elon on, you guys can geek out over motherfuckers I've never heard of the whole time. Let's do it. Alright, uh this has been the Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast, as always brought to you by LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Seven oh seven Walnut in Philly, always at com. Are you down with T T P?
2: Yeah, you know Furcon Corkmas. <laughs>